All right, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to A Thousand Cuts. I am your host, Demetrius, here with my comrades. We got a, we got a packed house today. We got a packed house. I'm here with my comrades, LaCase, Tony, Glenn, and Chanel. Y'all say what's going on to the people, man. We excited to be back. Y'all say what's up. Hey, what's up? Hello, hello. What's good, everybody? How y'all doing? Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Yeah, yeah, we are excited to be back on the fifth episode. And I just want to say, first of all, to our listeners, man, Thank y'all for the mad love on Twitter, on SoundCloud. Thank y'all, thank y'all so much for supporting the podcast. We put a lot of work into this, a lot of effort into this. And y'all have been just showing hella love, hella support. And we're going to keep it going with the analysis, with the news, with everything, man. Just thank y'all so much for the support. I'm hella grateful for it. And it's just a great opportunity. And we're going to have more. We're thinking about more ideas for content for y'all. And y'all are going to be excited what we got in the works. I think we got a strong episode today. A lot of news per usual. We're going to hop right into it. Starting off with the international news. We got an update on Armenia. So on Tuesday of this week, it was announced that the prime minister of Armenia, Nicole Pashinyan, signed a peace agreement with Azerbaijan. An article from The Guardian reports that Quote, a key part of the peace deal includes Armenia returning Kabaljar and the Agdam district by November 20th, as well as the Lechen district by December 1st, all of which have been held by Armenians since the devastating 1990s war that left 30,000 people dead. After weeks of intense fighting, the two sides will maintain positions in the territories they currently hold, a significant gain for Azerbaijan, which has reclaimed around 15 to 20 percent of its lost territory including the key town of Shusha, end quote. Another article from The Guardian reports that, quote, Pashinyan and senior figures in the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, administration said they were forced to sue for peace. Azerbaijani forces had captured the enclave's strategically positioned town of Susha and appeared to be within striking distance of the region's largest city, Stepanakart, end quote. Protests sparked off in Yerevan, the capital of Armenia, immediately after the decision was revealed to the Armenian people. The deal was made before the Armenian people even knew of it. Uh, the protesters entered government buildings such as the seat of government and the parliament. Protesters chanted that the prime minister was a traitor. Quoting again from the earlier Guardian piece, quote, windows were smashed and broken glass littered the lobby of Pashinyan's official residence. Protesters ripped his nameplate off his office door as others chanted, Nicole has betrayed us. Police officers looked on as demonstrators, including some army veterans wearing military fatigues, filled the ornate wood-paneled offices, shouting and delivering furious speeches. Crowds also forced their way into the Armenian parliament as brawls broke out on the podium and objects were thrown. The parliament speaker, Arat Mazoyan, was caught up in the violence and beaten unconscious by an angry mob, end quote. Russia helped broker the peace deal and has dispatched 2,000 peacekeepers from their 15th Motorized Rifle Brigade the troops will be set up at 16 different observation posts in Nagorno-Karabakh and in the Lichen Corridor. The peacekeeping forces are to remain there for five years to ensure stability. Villagers in Kabaljar, an Armenian separatist-controlled area in Azerbaijan, began leaving the area and burning their homes in an act of defiance before the weekend deadline. So there has been protests popping off in Peru. Recently, the Congress of Peru voted to impeach President Martin Vizcarra amid unproven allegations that the president was given $638,000 in kickback money during this time as a regional governor. They also claimed that the president's handling of the coronavirus pandemic was poor and made other charges of corruption. 
This is ironic seeing as how the president was actually pushing through anti-corruption reforms. An article from The Guardian reports that, quote, analysts concurred that the removal was orchestrated by opposition leaders who bitterly opposed the president's anti-graft reforms and his overhaul of higher education, which affected their business interests, end quote. The former Speaker of Congress, Emmanuel Moreno, has taken his place as president. Tens of thousands of Peruvians took to the streets with protests and demonstrations who view what happened as being a coup. Uh, Vizcarra was popular with the Peruvian people due to his anti-corruption efforts. An article from the Washington Post reports that, quote, Vizcarra is still popular and his ouster has triggered ever larger street protests by mainly young Peruvians who see the impeachment as an illegitimate power grab by self-serving politicians. In a recent Epsos poll, 78% were opposed to his ouster, 54% approved of his government, just 22% approved of the head of Congress, Manuel Moreno, who has now taken leave from that position to assume the presidency, end quote. The protests have lasted a week thus far, and only two protesters have died. An article from The Guardian reports, quote, police detained at least 30 protesters on Saturday amid multiple reports of heavy-handed repression against largely peaceful demonstrators. The health ministry reported that more than 30 people were being treated for injuries, end quote. The report goes on to say, quote, as the news of the first death spread, spontaneous pop-banging protests known as Casalero Lazos and shouts of Moreno out spread through neighborhoods in Lima. The abrupt replacement of the popular president by Moreno, a little-known politician with a questionable track record, has caused uproar across the Peruvian capital, sparking some of the largest demonstrations in more than a decade, end quote. Quote, George Forsyth, the leading presidential candidate, demanded Moreno's immediate resignation, saying in a tweet that his hands were stained with blood. He said that the Congress would choose a new president from the 19 lawmakers who voted against Vizcarra's impeachment over unproven bribery allegations. Out of 130 members of Congress, 105 voted to remove the centrist leader on Monday, end quote. All of this is happening while the country is being ravaged by COVID-19, unfortunately. Peru has one of the highest death tolls from the virus in the world. Tony, would you like to pick it up from here with the international news? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Tony. I'll be going over the top national news stories and how they recovered across the media since the last pod. Since our last recording, the U.S. election has come and gone due to COVID-19. An increased number of citizens voted by mail. This caused a delay in projections of the winner. That is until November 7th. When major news networks began declaring Joseph Biden the winner after securing Pennsylvania and his 20 electoral votes. I quote from NPR, I am honored and humbled by the trust the American people have placed in me and in Vice President-elect Harris, Biden said in a statement. In the face of unprecedented obstacles, a record number of Americans voted, proving once again that democracy beats deep in the heart of America. With the campaign over, and I'm quoting, uh, Biden again. With the campaign over, it's time to put the anger and the harsh rhetoric behind us and to come together as a nation. It's time for America to unite and to heal. We are the United States of America, and there's nothing we can't do if we do it together. Much later in the article of approximately 3,200 words, the author commits 200 to a short section covering the proposed policies of the incoming Biden's administration. I'll quote the author a little later in the piece to sum up the policy section. Regardless, Throughout his entire campaign, Biden largely emphasized tone and style over policy. He began and ended his campaign promising to restore the soul of the nation and repeatedly vowed in his closing days to govern with all Americans in mind, not just the ones who voted for him. The incumbent President Trump 
remains unconvinced that the results of the election are fair, quoting from the same NPR article. The simple fact is, this election is far from over, Trump added. Joe Biden has not been certified as the winner of any states, let alone any of the highly contested states headed for mandatory recounts or states where our campaign has valid and legitimate legal challenges that could determine the ultimate victory. On Saturday morning, he also falsely tweeted that he won the election. The tweet was flagged by Twitter. Trump is correct in that the election isn't technically over. States have the rest of November and in some instances until early December to certify results. Alas, Trump's legal challenges have a very high chance of failure. And at the time of this recording, some have already begun to. Even some of the people close to Trump think he'll end up losing those legal challenges. I'll quote from a Washington Post article dated November 10th, 2020. Title: A states press forward with vote counts. Trump advisors privately express pessimism about heading off Biden's win. And I'll quote: The vote counting, meanwhile, continue to pace as states work towards certifying the vote, a process that should largely be finished by the beginning of December. In Georgia, the deadline for county certification is November 13th, but the majority of counties have already completed the task by Tuesday afternoon. Next comes a statewide audit after which Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, a Republican, must certify the results no later than November 20th. In Arizona, county cabinets and results go to the Secretary of State, who must certify on November 30th, the fourth Monday after the election, a deadline that can be extended just a few days to accommodate missing county totals. Michigan state law requires certification on November 23rd. In Nevada, the date is November 24th. While in Wisconsin, it is typically December 1st. In Pennsylvania, there is no statewide deadline for certification, but counties must certify the results by November 23rd. Multiple election officials and legal scholars said there was little Trump can do to stop the process. Even where the opportunity for a challenge exists, they rest on difference-making evidence of wrongdoing which the Trump campaign is not presented. What that means is Trump will have to show that there is sufficient evidence that the amount of fraud committed is enough to change the outcome of the election. Basically, if there is an ex-Biden lead in state A, there will have to be evidence of voter fraud of X or higher. A Times article that we'll share with the listeners has listed all of the legal challenges that are either ongoing or have failed. At this time, there are seven legal challenges in Pennsylvania. The campaign has won a single one of these cases, referencing the distance in which observers were allowed to witness the counting of votes in Philadelphia, lowering the distance to six feet. There are at least three legal challenges in Michigan, one of which is an attempt to halt the certification of results from Wayne County, the county where Detroit is located. I quote from the article, the campaign said in its complaint that there are over 100 sworn affidavits from election challengers to provide prove these allegations. An examination of the affidavits found no evidence of fraud. The majority alleged that they faced intimidation when trying to raise objections and were frequently admonished to stay within six feet of election officials, end quote. There is only one case in Georgia and only one for Arizona where a lawsuit was brought to court by a conservative legal fund and voters on November 4th, but then quickly dropped on November 7th with no reason given for dropping them. Next in news, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, the portion of American children who sometimes do not have enough to eat is now as much as 14 times higher than it was last year. The Intercept ran an article with reference to this quote. The Agriculture Department conducts yearly studies on food insecurity in the U.S. with this report on 2019 released this month. The Census Bureau began frequent household surveys in April in response to COVID-19 that include questions about hunger. The analysis by Washington, D.C.-based Center on Budget and Policy Priorities found that 3.7% of U.S. households reported they sometimes 
or often had not enough to eat during 2019. Meanwhile, the most recent census data from the end of August of this year showed that 10% of households said they sometimes or often did not have enough to eat within the past seven days. Levels of food insecurity in Black and Latino households are significantly higher at 19 and 17% respective, compared to 7% in white households. Even worse, about 1% of adults with children said their children sometimes or often went hungry in 2019. Between 9 and 14% of such adults said the same thing about their kids in August 2020. CDPP estimates that this adds up to about 5 million school-aged children in such households. Feeding America's national report on children hunger found that if childhood hunger had risen on track with the unemployment, then the number of children who are currently food insecure are now number one in four, or 18 million. Next in the news, a QAnon supporting Congresswoman. Former businesswoman and QAnon supporter Marjorie Taylor Greene now has a seat in the House of Representatives. Greene ran to be the Republican nominee for Georgia's 14th congressional district and won. A report in the New York Times reports Ms. Green was among at least a dozen Republican congressional candidates. Some estimates put the number upward of 20 who had expressed some degree of support for QAnon and this baseless belief that President Trump is fighting a cabal of Satanist, child-molesting Democrats and deep state bureaucrats who seek global domination. Most were running for reliably Democratic seats. Ms. Green's victory was expected. She was running unopposed in one of the most conservative districts in the country as were losses by most of the other QAnon wing candidates. None of the results alter what by now has become apparent inside and outside the Republican Party. This is the year of conspiracy theory. QAnon, foremost among them, gained a new foothold in the party. The report goes on to say, QAnon's future would then be likely to hinge on how deeply the movement has seeped into the party and whether the Republican establishment could win back the conspiracy theory's adherence. By no means is it certainty. The movement is unabashedly pro-Trump, casting the president as something of a god-emperor figure and painting much of the Republican old guard as little better than Democrats. While it's hard to pinpoint how many Republican voters feel that way, there is a growing evidence that QAnon followers make up a small but significant minority inside the party. The movement's growth has picked up pace since the onset of the pandemic, and in a recent poll by YouGov, Half of the Trump supporters surveyed said they thought powerful Democrats were involved in elite child sex trafficking rings, a core tenet of QAnon. Green has also made racist Facebook videos in the past that target Jewish, Black, and Islamic people. Politico uncovered her videos and made a report on it. The report states, in recordings obtained by Politico, Green described Islamic nations under Sharia law as places where men have sex with little boys, little girls, multiple women and marry their sisters and their cousins. She suggested that the 2018 midterms, which ushered in the most diverse class of House freshmen, was part of an Islamic invasion of our government, and that anyone that is a Muslim that believes in Sharia law does not belong in our government. In other videos, she directly compared Black Lives Matter activists to neo-Nazis and Ku Klux Klan members who marched at a white nationalist rally three years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia, denouncing them as idiots. And Green forcefully rejected the notion that there are racial disparities in the U.S. or that skin color affects the quality of one's life. Guess what? Slavery is over, she said. Black people have equal rights. Recently, <laughs> Green has... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, keep going, Tony. I'm sorry. <laughs> Recently, Green has made false claims that gyms in Washington, D.C. were closed due to meditated government shutdowns. Even members of her own party pushed back on, on this lie. A report in the Washington Times says that this is false, Rep. Justin Amash said in response to the incoming Congresswoman's claim. Businesses are open in D.C., said Mr. Amash, a former Republican, currently the sole libertarian in Congress. The main sources for this information is from a New York Times article, a political article, and a Washington Times article. We'll go ahead and get that information to you guys as soon as possible. Next, we have a neo-Nazi congressman. Madison Carthon, the youngest member of Congress at age 25, has won his House seat in North Carolina. Carthon's run has been plagued by allegations of racism and sexual assault. An old Instagram photo of Carthon's was discovered that showed him visiting Hitler's vacation home. The caption of the post reads, The vacation house of the fur, seeing the eagle's nest, has been on my bucket list for a while. It did not disappoint. Strange to hear some laughs and share such a good time with my brothers where only 79 years ago, a supreme evil shared laughs and good times with his compatriots. In a caption on his Facebook, Jezebel also reported that Cawthorn has an LLC with a Latin phrase that's popular among white nationalists. The phrase SPQR is short for Senatus Populus Q Romanus, or the Senate and the people of Rome. The Vice piece goes on to say that Cawthorn also faced controversy in October after a website run by Cawthorn's campaign described Booker as someone who aims to ruin white males running for office. Cawthorn said in a statement that his campaign clarified the language on the website. The syntax of our language was unclear and unfairly implied. I was criticizing Cory Booker, Cawthorn said. It just really personally saddens me that somebody who is clearly racist is a nominee of a major party. And I think it's a disrespect of the entire community. Booker told HuffPost. It's really unfortunate. A young woman named Katrina Krulikas decided to speak up about Cawthorn's alleged aggressive sexual behavior that was exhibited on a date that they had back in 2014. An article in the Citizen Times reports that in her August 13th Instagram post, Krulikas described a 2014 date with Cawthorn now I'm 25, when he was 19 and she was 17. The UNC grad writes how the two teens, both members of the same Asheville Christian home school community, met at Biltmore Village after Cawthorn reached out on social media. The two then drove together to a secluded field for a bonfire. When they arrived, according to Krulikas, Cawthorn began asking her about her sexual history. I immediately felt discomforted, she posted her account states that Cawthorn, seated in a wheelchair following an auto accident earlier that year that leaves him without use of his legs, then invited Krulikas to sit on his lap. I felt pressured and unsure of how to say no, she wrote, so I sat on his lap. Krulikas describes how Cawthorn then tried to kiss her twice, attempts which she used force to resist. He was much stronger than me, she stated. I recall being so startled that as he tried to grab me and I attempted to pull away, my hair was pulled instead, and I got stuck in his chair. I had to yank out some of my own hair just to free myself. I never went out with Madison Cawthorn again. Before sharing her post publicly, Cooley Class reached out privately to friends and acquaintances from high school when she began hearing counts similar to her own. She said she realized my situation wasn't isolated. His behavior was a pattern. And that's it for the national news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate it, Tony. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Now, I'm going to read from, just do a short reading here about an event that took place yesterday that everyone should be excited about. The Million Mega Fucking March, y'all. The Million Mega Fucking March. Good little write-up here from BuzzFeed News titled, Trump supporters who refused to admit he lost the election went to protest in D.C. 
People at the march attacked everything from vote counting to Dr. Fauci, and there were many references to the QAnon mass delusion. Tens of thousands of Trump supporters gathered in Washington, D.C. on Saturday for a million MAGA march, blocking the streets to protest the 2020 election results and falsely claiming that the president did not lose the election to Joe Biden. Protesters carried large American flags and Trump banners, and despite the crowd and the alarming spike in coronavirus infection rates across the country, many were not masked as they chanted, stop the steal in four more years. Early in the march, Trump's motorcade drove by his supporters on the way to his resort for another day of golfing. Videos show him waving and putting his thumbs up from the back seat of the car while fans chased after him on the street and cheered. <laughs> Trump and his campaign repeatedly uh, lied about widespread fraud in key swing states in the past week, citing it as the reason he lost the election. His campaign has filed lawsuits in several states, challenging how votes were counted, and a number of them have already been tossed out by judges. The same president has still refused to concede in encouraging his supporters to do the same. Those at the march on Saturday attacked everything from vote counting to Joe Biden to Dr. Fauci, a public health expert whom Trump has repeatedly targeted. There were also many references to QAnon, the mass delusion that claims Trump is fighting a satanic ball of elites who abuse children and whose beliefs Trump himself is elevated. Photos on Twitter show people holding signs that said, Arrest Fauci and stop the steal. Some more t-shirts praising a 17-year-old Trump supporter charged with murder for allegedly killing two people during a Black Lives Matter protest in Wisconsin. Footage that aired on Fox News showed one person carrying a sign that read, Coming for Blacks and Indians, first welcome to the New World Order. <laughs> that sentence, White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany tweeted that more than one million marchers were present on Saturday an exaggeration of the crowd size gleaned from photos and videos of the march. Among those in attendance were Alex Jones, MyPillow founder and CEO Mike Lindell, and QAnon supporter Marjorie Tyler Greene, who was recently elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in Georgia. All three delivered speeches claiming Trump won the presidential race and falsely accused Democrats of trying to steal the election. The Proud Boys, a far-right extremist men's organization founded by Gavin McGinn's, was filmed marching alongside Jones, posing as his security. C-SPAN also aired footage of protesters chanting Alex Jones as they marched towards the Supreme Court. Jesus Christ. <laughs> is, is this how it ends? Is this how it ends, y'all? I don't know. Is this how I the American Empire ends? It's over. A supplement con man. A guy who sells people bullshit supplement over to oh, wait, I gotta stop taking my bone milk oh. and my brain and my brain power. Uh, yeah the brain power the DNA shield. Oh, is, this how, yeah, is this how it ends? Quote I want to tell you all you're incredible. The DC police are believing there's upwards of a hundred thousand people lined all the way back from where we came from and more are coming, Jones yelled at the crowd. And this is just the beginning. He did land a chant that repeated the year 1776, which conservative academics have latched onto to counter the New York Times Magazine's Pulitzer Prize winning 1619 project, an ongoing initiative to reframe U.S. history by addressing the role of slavery. There were some small clashes between counter-protesters who showed up to the March Saturday and Trump supporters and counter-protesters chanting, Donald Trump is a loser and Trump, pack your shit, you're illegitimate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As the evening went on, tensions continued to rise between counter-protesters and Trump supporters, resulting in an increased police presence. Some counter-protesters lit Trump flags on fire, and a Trump supporter swung at a counter-protester with a pipe after they made fun of their MAGA hat. Wow. 
There were a number of other confrontations between scattered groups from the two camps. Outside the Hilton, D.C., police deployed a chemical agent and made several arrests after officers and counter-protesters clashed. Mm. And how much you want to bet those arrests were of the counter-protesters primarily? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Always. So this is a wild-ass news segment. Um, sorry for so much reading, but there was a lot to get in. We wanted to make sure it's up to date. How y'all feeling about everything, man? How y'all feeling about the... Apparently, black people, we don't, they're, you know, slavery's over. Yeah, we gotta get over it. Oh, man. So, we gotta just we are, let that one go, apparently. Cool rights. Yep. I think I missed that memo. Yeah. Yeah. We got a blatant neo Nazi. And the way he lied, bro, the way he lied, he was just like, oh, well, you know, I was just there, you know, just vibing in the energy. For you, who intentionally goes to Hitler's summer vacation home? <laughs> That's why I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Europe. I've been to Europe and I've visited Ooh, fancy. Normandy Beach. Like I've been to like, I've been to numerous fucking Holocaust, like yeah. museums. Yeah. And no, there are like places that. you would want to visit, you know, places where you're like, yeah, I want to, I want to go see that, see the history of all. But fucking Hitler's, but Hitler's vacation here? Vacation vacation home? Home. <laughs> it's, 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 it's to refer to the man as the Fuhrer. Accidental. Like I don't think your phone autocorrects. Wow. It's just uh Hey before before we stray list. too far away, before we stray too far away from the news, I wanted to bring up something. Um because we mentioned uh this dear elder on a previous episode, but um you know uh for folks who aren't aware uh, an urgent alert has been put out um, for our dear elder, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, who is suffering stage four cancer mm. for the last year and a half, and he has now been diagnosed with COVID-19. Mm. Oh, my mm. God. Wow. So this infection is no doubt a result of the full-blown resurgence of the virus in Pennsylvania state prisons and the callous disregard shown by prison authorities to elderly and infirm incarcerated people, mm. including withhold testing and unhygienic isolation of those who report symptoms. Mm -hmm. Maroon is asking that all supporters call the office of Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf and demand his immediate unconditional release, as well as that of all elderly prisoners infected yeah. with COVID-19. You can call 717-787-2500 beginning Monday morning to demand his immediate release. Wow. Thanks for sharing wow, that. Yeah, we definitely need to post that online. That's Yeah. That's fucking horrendous. That's fucking horrendous. Yeah, the conditions in prisons, I mean, I've heard some of the numbers and the data coming out of prisons, like the amount of prisoners and, and prison guards getting the stuff is fucking ridiculous. I mean, they're just gigantic vectors of the shit. It, ugh, it's horrible. Just real quick on that tip, a couple seconds. Uh, I read a story about, out of Houston, actually, about something like 80% of the people who died in Houston jails, mm -hmm. they're awaiting trial. So they've never been accused of a crime. They're, you know, essentially innocent yeah. people. Yeah, I think that was, I think that was Texas. Yeah, Texas jails, 80% mm -hmm. of people who died like COVID. Yeah, it's, I mean, everybody knows here in Texas, we have a horrible fucking carceral system. It's, it's ridiculous. In Houston recently, we got a, like a, I believe a socialist judge. I can't remember what position they were in the system here, but yeah. they were able to advocate to overturn cash bail, which was great because here in downtown, there are just fucking bail bondsmen all over the place downtown next to the courthouses so they're just you know fucking sharks waiting to exploit people and that's just what it is i mean that's just how the criminal punishment system works right is 
the vast majority of people who have been sitting in jail for months on end have not been charged for anything. Yeah. And it's mostly because they are, you know, in poverty, they're poor, they're primarily people of color, and they don't have money for bail. That's why they're sitting in there. They haven't been charged with anything. And that's what people don't get about the system. That's why I use that specific term, criminal punishment system, not criminal justice system. It's, there's no justice in this shit. It just punishes people. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not they're guilty or not. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? That's just how it works. It would be impossible. Most cases don't even go to trial. Most cases don't even go to trial. That would be impossible. Our system, the carceral system would fucking collapse. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. And that's one of the more insidious aspects of it is that when, when it's monetary based, the poor get chewed up by that system. Right. And the rich get a slap on the hand because they can afford to pay the lawyer fees and the fines yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But the poor, mm -hmm. obviously. In terms of coronavirus, this is something that, in coronavirus in prisons, this is something that Angela Davis, the great Angela Davis, yeah. wrote decades ago in her book, Are Prisons Obsolete? She talks about how prisons are just an epidemiological nightmare because they're fucking filthy. Yeah. I mean, they're mm -hmm. filthy. The conditions are horrendous. I mean, it's horrible. People who are sent to Guantanamo Bay or like those sort of like federal prison facilities, they have better like health care there than they do in like most regular mm. prisons. Mm -hmm. And that fucked me up when I learned that. Like, that's something that she talked about years ago. It's just it's always full of diseases and sickness, you know? Yeah. Uh, I wasn't going to say anything too pertinent to that point. I was just going to mention whenever I think about the slap on the wrist element for the rich, how like Jeff Bezos got like 900 or something like that parking tickets when he was making his uh, like his new home or some shit. But, you know, he just paid wow. them fucking parking tickets and it's no big deal. Right. You know, but like if there were anybody else, they'd be in fucking prison. Jail, so. jail, jail. <laughs> 900 parking tickets so he violated purposely parking zoning just, rules just violated the law all the time because yeah, I guess he wanted to park wherever the fuck he wanted to park in regards yeah, to yeah you know yeah. the construction has been done on his home and yeah like I guess there's like you know certain laws to the zoning with the construction and he was like I don't give a fuck I'm pull up <laughs> you know so <sighs> wow it's really two sides, and the sides are stark opposites. Yeah. Like I said, one people get chewed up, you know, one class of people gets chewed up and spit out. Another class purposely breaks the law. Yeah. And plans for it in their expense reports. So, okay, I'll put that 10000 aside for tickets. Yeah, yeah, we're going to write this off. We're going to write my crime off. <laughs> it's a, a write-off. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt Taibbi, before he went down the drain... Uh, wrote a book called The Great Divide on that, basically about how, like, there's two different legal systems. If you're poor, yeah. if you're a person of color, mm -hmm. you're fucked. Then if you're rich and, you know, white as shit, you're, you're all right. You're straight. That's, mm -hmm. that's basically what a lot of it comes down to. Is anybody concerned about, like, neo-Nazis and QAnon people being in Congress? And how many of them are running for Congress is kind of scary. I mean, let's keep it a buck. You already know that there's been a few of them in Congress yeah. prior to yeah, these getting elected. Exactly. Openly, though. Openly, yeah. yeah. That's a whole different dynamic, though. Well, I mean, we have historically had very open. I mean, you got your Strom Thurmonds. You've got your right. Woodrow Wilsons. Hell, David Duke. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've, we've had open races, I think. Um, I don't know why this feels so much scarier. But, I mean, there's always been that element in, in mm -hmm. politics. I think now it's just, they're so outwardly violent 
I don't know. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you guys all think, but I mean, to me, this feels scarier. No, absolutely. I mean, they've always been been violent, you know, but go ahead, Tony. My bad. No, I, I just wanted to say that, like, none of what you guys are saying is like, so I was listening to Behind the Bastards recently, the Robert Evans podcast, and they were talking about the Koch brothers and how they started the Tea Party, and they armed these people, oh, and, you know, paid yep. for their political campaigns, and they got, the, they got these group of people into power, and then they lost control of them because they got too strong, you know, because <laughs> and, and, and that's what this that's what Trumpism is birthed out of. You know, obviously, it's, it's a longer yeah. lineage than that, but that's what it's birthed mm-hmm. out of. And the Koch brothers are like, ah, we wash our hands of it. And then, <laughs> if the fucking Koch brothers are washing their hands of something, it's really fucked up, you know. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and this is this is what the, the Koch brothers washed their hands of. This is what they decided to just let happen. I think what to me makes it so much scarier because white supremacy. I mean, the, the seeds of fascism is, have always been in American soil. I mean, that's just what it is from the very beginning. This country was built on white supremacy, so right. this shit ain't new to us. It ain't new to us. It ain't new to indigenous people. It ain't new to <laughs> queer people. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I think what bothers me with the QAnon shit is that it's a non-reality based worldview <laughs> that is gaining power. I'm the type of person I grew up. You know, being into conspiracy theories and shit. Everybody's into conspiracy theories. They're fun. They're fun. They can be fun and silly. And- <laughs> okay. But this is not a fun conspiracy theory. Like, what happened to the fucking Loch Ness monster or the Chupacabra? Chupacabra. <laughs> I think we had to take a step back with QAnon on that, right? Like, you got to really look at. There was some fucking warning signs for a long time. I mean, look at Gamergate, right? Did anybody pay attention to that yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's very distinct connections between like Gamergate and how we've gotten yeah. to this point. Because like, you know, it was the canary in the coal mine, right? Like people weren't paying attention when these trans folks and these women were pointing out, you yeah. know, they're like, hey, look, these these dudes aren't just fucking toxic like male gamers. Like, no, they're like literally fucking neo-Nazis are on that neo-Nazi pipeline. Like, they were really trying to point that out and nobody was taking that shit seriously mm-hmm. then. And when was that? Like, 2012 or some shit? Fast forward now, yeah, you got these motherfuckers running for public office. Like, mm-hmm. it's the same people. Like, if you really look down exactly. the, like, you know, down the fucking magnifying glass of it, you know, like, getting to the nitty-gritty, you start to realize, like, all these people were conditioned in these same bubbles, these same Discord channels, these same, you know, group chats, these same fucking Tumblr pages, you know, like, yeah. they were the same people back then on those message boards and shit are now, you know, joining Proud Boys, joining Roper and fucking running for offices, QAnon fucking politicians. And this is why I low-key kind of blame the internet, too, because if you think about it, so, like, I was listening to another podcast that has Robert Evans on it, too, Worst Year Ever, and they were interviewing the great journalist Talia Levin, and she just wrote this really dope book called Culture Warlords. And I was reading part of the section about incels, and it's just pure fucking nihilistic, just depressing chaos like yeah but she says a similar thing that her and robert evans talk about is when you look at the history of the internet from the beginning there have always been conspiracy theorists and nazis and white supremacists utilizing the internet from the very origins of the internet well like the internet really popped out what was it like the 80s what was it the late like yeah, I mean, it popped off in like the nineties. If you're talking about popping off, definitely the nineties. For everyday people, yeah, like the nineties. But you mean like you mean like the, the first message boards where people were able to communicate via? Yeah, yeah. From the very beginning, like back in the eighties, they were on. Yeah, that was like late eighties when people were like using message boards and shit. That was like a phenomenon. And they were on there. Conspiracy theorists were on there. Nazis were on there. So this is something that has been a part of the internet and internet culture and subculture. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we shouldn't be surprised when you have these 
wild ass incel message boards, these fucking libertarian fascist Reddit and 4chan pages. I would argue that, you know, this might piss people off, but the Marxist Leninist shit too. I've been on a couple of Marxist Leninist Reddit pages where they fucking gas each other up and pump each other up full of historical inaccuracies about genocide denial that took place in the USSR. All types of shit. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this stuff is always been on the internet and the Gamergate stuff, like, I'm not on that Angela Nagel kill all normies bullshit. I, I think that her framing of it was, I think that that's just a bad book. But that was the base of it, that Gamergate shit where you had essentially this controversy that there was, that gaming journalism was fucked up because there were, there was this young woman who was having sex with some, you know, supposedly having sex with some game reviewer to get a good review on her really shitty game or whatever and it was wrapped in this whole thing of like oh well there's a problem with gaming journalism now if you were a gamer prior to fucking gamers gate you know that gaming journalism has always been trash it's always been bad yeah just like sports it's always been stupid it's always been shitty it's always been fucking horrible yeah so why all of a sudden at that moment, because it started with the Quinspiracy, that was her name, Zoe Quinn. It started with the Quinspiracy. Why at that moment did all of a sudden all of these dudes start caring about yeah. the quality of gaming journalism? And then from there, they started doxing and harassing other female journalists or feminist critics of video games. Because gaming, just like everything else, is full of racism, full of fucking misogyny. If you were on Xbox Live, you know what I'm talking about. You could call the nigger a million times as soon as they find out that you black. This is what it was. Well, I mean, they be throwing that shit around before they find out anybody black. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Or if you're a woman, you know what it's like if you're online. They hear your yeah. voice. Oh, you fucking girl, stupid bitch. You know, all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah. I mean, you can tell I'm passionate about it because I come out of that gaming culture. And like the identity of a gamer is so destructive. There's a good book on it called Gaming Masculinities. But that idea of a gamer became like a political identity. And it's so fucking dangerous and toxic. It's so dangerous. Well, there was, you know, I think there was a, I think there's a couple layers to that too, right? You kind of pointed it out when you, you mentioned like some of the origins of Gamergate, but I think even before then, like you were saying, it kind of goes back to just like the whole conception of the identity of a gamer in itself and what they represent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially, you know, some of that can be tied to the marketing, but some of that can be tied to the culture right. of how, you know, it was historically very exclusionary of folks who, you know, didn't pride themselves in being a part of the subculture. And right. one of the things you got to take into account is that, like, basically, as gaming became more and more... Because it's not just about a derision of making it just male or female. It was a derision of keeping gaming spaces predominantly white, predominantly cis, predominantly, yes. you know, just honestly, in a way, standard. Like, you know, you know, very uh, ableist, very yes. uh, heteronormative. Yes. And honestly, very derivative. I mean, in the sense that most people didn't want to play anything that was trying to push the boundaries of what a game could be. Folks just want the same old rehash cookie no. cutter shit. Capitalism accelerated all of that shit. It's capitalism. There you go, right? All that shit gets reproduced through uh, cultural reproduction. And so, you know, you end up getting um, a lot of that shit reproduced in these spaces. And, like, the funny thing is, is the same people who feel like they've been ostracized from society who end up becoming, once again the oppressors who end up ostracizing folks from their group, from their social right. arrangement. 
and like I said, as, as things became more accessible, as games started having uh, God modes and started adding more accessibility tools for folks who have different able abilities, this game started giving you more customizable features for being able to make your character look more like you if you're not just yes. some white dude. You know, yeah. as games started featuring more storylines that were rooted in, you know, women's journeys. People of color, Mafia 3, you know. Yeah, yeah. people of color journey, and not just being stories that revolved around, you know, again, a cisgender white male, which is yeah. still, you know, very few and far in between when you look at the, the metrics, the numbers of what is actually being produced. But the fact that these stories are even being engaged with at all was enough for a whole rift within the gaming culture. And this expanded out to comics, this expanded out to all those forms of media, pop culture, because oh, yeah. there's comics. You remember the Marvel Comics controversy, right? Where one of the officials of Marvel Comics made the claim that comics with characters of color or primarily characters of color and characters, you know, female characters or characters of, of different gender expressions didn't sell as much that's a bullshit mm. lie mm. total bullshit, oh, yeah, total, lie. Total bullshit. again we're talking about how capitalism works right because mm -hmm. what he was actually it's how the comic book industry in terms of how things are bought and sold works because what he's saying is that the physical copies of these sorts of titles you know don't sell well in particular retailers and in, you know particular stores but it's an archaic system it's a fucking dinosaur system. Yeah, we ain't got to get into the details on that because, yeah, the comic book system is trash. It's totally stupid. It's based on pre-orders. So the amount mm -hmm. of pre-orders, they count that as the amount sold. But then mm -hmm. if you look at, in reality, if you look at internet-based sales, some of the highest sellers are titles that feature characters of color and women and LGBTQ people. It's so it's, again, that's going to... Just kind of like the discussion that we were having, you know, offline of just the irrationality of the capital yeah. structure of the business structure. I, I wanted to I was kind of bringing it back to what, what, what you were ending with saying and that it's simply that white people, you know, they sense the paradigm shift that the country and the world is, is yes. currently yep. going through. They, yep. they, they yeah. kind of see that their power and that their spot in the world is shifting. And, mm -hmm. they, and they don't like that. That's the key thread that ties the Gamergate and with the Tea Party mm -hmm. and with the QA9. And it all, you know, flows into one stream out into one ocean. And it's that white fear and white fragility. Like, oh, our spot's getting taken by. Well, yeah, it's that basic phrase, right? Where it's like, and I don't mean to cut you off, it's that phrase where it's like, no, you equality feels like oppression to the oppressor, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's literally yeah. the same situation. Exactly. It's not like trying to overthrow them. We're not trying trying to knock them off the pedestal. I mean, some of us might be. But the, the point is that some folks, you know, just can't handle the idea of being on the same stage as other folks who have historically been pushed down. Uh -huh. And you, yeah. you see you see what Trump doing. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just wanted to close this last thought. You see what Trump doing with his language. He's moving more and more towards a dehumanizing language for what he deems as right. enemies. Mm -hmm. Non-human, scum, stuff like that and his his base is responding in kind they're, they're also saying you know we should eradicate this vermin vermin is another word i've seen but just for that little bit of like you said not we're not trying to over then no one you know that's not the goal for most people to overthrow anyone or to get more power to anyone it's just to have a quality life and that's threatening to what white people see as theirs yeah and this kind of leads us into discussion that we wanted to talk about, which is everything that's going on around the election, in particular in the Black community, how people are placing, you know, a politics of representation over a politics of actual systemic material change. And yeah, this is why it's so important for the left 
to have serious conversations about identity and identity politics. Because what you're seeing is, it's just like what Tony said, is all of the normative identities, the identities that our society has deemed as valuable, right? More valuable than everybody else, more valuable than every other identity is reacting viciously against, you know, the identities that have been devalued systemically over the centuries. Now, you know, rising up in their own liberation, speaking out for themselves. I mean, that's essentially what it is. So when we talk about, you know, cisgendered and heterosexual and white and, you know, male oppression over queer and black and indigenous and, and such, you know, that's why it's important for us to really talk about identity because it has real material and political impacts. It's not this idealist notion, you know, that has to be put in opposition against class struggle. It's nonsense. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do both. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I really wanted this conversation regarding Black women and how essentially Black women have delivered, as some people say, Black women have delivered us the Biden and Kamala Harris victory. Around that and around, you know, Kamala Harris being vice president, I wanted LaCase and, and Dr. Chanel to really Give their thoughts on that about how do y'all as black women think about this complex and nuanced issue of like representation versus like actually getting wins, you know, material wins for black people. I don't know if Chanel, you would like to start or LaCase, whomever. Oh, go ahead, Chanel. <laughs> I was going to talk to you. <laughs> I'm happy for the representation. I'm happy that Black women are acknowledged for what we can do, how we show up. It's also infuriating. Mm. It's also like, get off my tit, you know, like, stop sucking me dry. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You feel, you know, we know we're not performing. You know, we're about the business of our liberation and supporting the community and you know, mm -hmm. being there for one another and, and truly trying to make the place better for everybody. But, you know, to constantly see Black women being used, like, I'm tired of that. You know, like, I, we're strong, we're magical, we're, you know, we're brilliant. Let's acknowledge that across the board. Let's mm -hmm. let that be represented in terms, in boardrooms. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't keep giving me cosmetic changes, you know, like let black women be great. And, you know, then let's see, you know, what people have to say and what's going on. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's a mixed bag to me. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Dr. Chanel. I was just going to agree with you. Yeah, it feels like, you know, there's all these big sweeping statements about, oh, like black women did this and Stacey Abrams and, you know, the way that black organizers uh, mobilized in Georgia and the way... I mean, even pulling in the indigenous community, the organization that took place to get, you know, places flipped for Biden. It's like we do all this work constantly, like Dr. Chanel was saying, but then the people we're ushering in are aligning themselves with people who are dedicated to our further subjugation. I mean, if you look at the people Biden, I think there was a list of projected cabinet members and they're all like, oh, my gosh billionaires and tied to corporations and it's like okay so we're still on the bottom yeah i mean it's just they're they are the worst people. the worst and dedicated to making sure that these hierarchies remain and when i you know we kind of had a conversation beforehand about hierarchies and socially we lose the most often we're women we're black 
So by upholding those hierarchies, we continue to lose. So yeah, I, I agree with Dr. Chanel. It's like you want to be proud of a Black woman forgetting anything. I see a Black woman win at anything, except for Condoleezza Rice. Not Condoleezza Rice. Who's, Omarosa, except for her. <laughs> you, can throw, you can throw Condi in there too. But I mean, you want to cheer for a Black woman. You want to support... I want to support black women. Mm-hmm. I was raised that way. You know, my I joke with my friends whenever there was like in the Olympics or any kind of sport, if there's a black person, I was we were watching in my house. Like if a team had like a curling team had a black person on yep. it, we were gonna watch. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like you feel that pride to an extent that a black woman is in a position. But again, it's like, why are we cheering for someone capturing a position of power that's it feels like inescapable. Like we're kind of trapped here. I don't know. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that like it had to be a very palatable black woman. She's lighter skin. She's got her hair laid. You know, she's very hard line yeah. on crime. Yeah. yeah. You know, it couldn't be Stacey Abrams. It couldn't have been a Shirley Chisholm. It had to be a specific aesthetic type of black woman. Yeah. That's like a whole other podcast episode. We could talk about colorism for days, but that strikes me as well. So I don't know. I think it's a very nuanced conversation and it's difficult because we get so little. <laughs> we truly get so little as black women. Sure. Could I get you to go into that a little bit more? I know you said it could be a whole another episode. Oh, but sure. Could you go into the aesthetics a little bit? Because I feel like that is important. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you know, just to, uh, Dr. Chanel, anytime you want to jump in as well, I don't want to bogart the time. I mean, I remember in college being told uh, I had to interview um, someone, I was in the journalism department, I had to interview someone and I wanted to interview a black woman um, about her job. She was an executive and it was great. And, you know, at the time I did and still do have dreadlocks. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, you know, we would love to, like, if you're interested in an internship, we would love to bring you on, but you can't have your hair like that. You know, you have to, you can't have dreadlocks, you have to have straight hair, you know, and hair is a piece of it. You have texturism, but colorism is, I mean, oh my gosh, it's just like another layer to what we have to deal with as black women. You know, you got to be a certain shade if you want to move up the ranks. I mean, you see it, I, I see it a lot in academia. It's like, no one's darker than a paper bag. But, and I don't know, I, Dr. Chanel, go ahead. I feel like I'm rambling. It's every industry. It is. It's, it's, it's interwoven into our culture, you know, because it is folks, you know, like passing counts for something. <laughs> yes, you know, and it's it's hard for a lot of people to recognize that and you know give an account for it, but it's a thing. Mm-hmm. What are some of y'all's thoughts around the ways that Kamala has been presented in the media, where she she'll like put on that facade? You can tell it's not how she truly carries her stuff, but she'll put on that facade of like trying to appeal to blackness at a, at a higher level than she can. She can yeah. her. Well, Cornell West called a funk. He said what? She, she, she yeah, put the, a little yeah, pep the, in her step. Yeah, yeah the, 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 Jamaican, the Jamaican weed shit that her dad mm-hmm. shoot her out about. Mm. Shout out to her dad. He's a, he's an actual Marxist. <laughs> he's an actual Marxist scholar. Shout out to him. He's mm. like, nah, bro. Yeah. I saw, I saw a picture of her where she had they someone said she broke out the inches. She had she had longer hair. <laughs> yeah, I'm through. I'm through. I'm through. I'm through. Like wow. Bundles. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, she, she broke out the bundles. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I I don't like to, I don't want to attack someone's blackness or, you know, like whether or not you're black enough or things like that. But I do think there's something. We're not not Joe Biden. It's the spectacle behind it. You know, it's like, (laughs) there's no disrespect to her. She's doing her thing. Like I do care about her 
you know, legislation and like how she, right. you know, does her job, that matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But yeah. Like I, I don't have a barometer on blackness that I'm, you know, out here assessing people. And I don't think that's necessary to do, but like, don't, don't like insult me. Play with you know it. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Put on a put on airs about it. The tokenism is always so insulting. Like you know, yeah. Or like you said, the case he picked her for a very specific mm-hmm. reason, and they expect people not to be smart enough to see that reason. And it's so soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jamaican stuff that just killed me. Wagwan, Wagwan, Wagwan. Wagwan. <laughs> oh man, yo, what's your favorite rap group? What did she say? Uh, Tribe Called Quest. I was like, okay, wow. bro. Like, I'm not, I'm not yeah. getting into it. Like, um, it's absurd. She's been in boardrooms too long. I think what yeah, Lacey and uh, Chanel said about not attacking the blackness is important. But like I said, I just want to yeah. emphasize, like, we we can see y'all in that motherfucking stream, <laughs> like we, like, nobody know, man. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I just I just want to read just a little bit. You know, listeners, please go and read this. This is an important article. There's a great article on Kamala Harris out of Left Voice. But there's another important article out of Huffington Post called The Human Cost of Kamala Harris's War on Truancy. Mm. And this shows you we're emphasizing the representation and the voices of Black women, which is pivotal and important. I really believe what Malcolm X said, that the most denigrated and disrespected woman in America is a black woman. Fucking period. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. I've seen the shit throughout my life, the blatant disrespect of black women when it comes to any and every fucking thing. They can't eat right. Nope. Can't sleep right. Can't breathe right. That's the fucking truth. But I just want people to read this article because it shows you the harm that Kamala Harris's policies yeah. and her time as a prosecutor brought on black women and black families. And I just want to read a little section here because we've had this conversation multiple times on this podcast about the problems of district attorneys and prosecutors and how they always go to serve, you know, the interests of the system. Yes. So I'm just going to read a little bit. Quote, Adachi said Harris's record on truancy exemplified why he was always skeptical of the notion of a progressive prosecutor. Mm -hmm. That's the common narrative. That you have a person who comes in and says, I can change the system by becoming the system. He said in a January interview with public radio station KQED, you have some influence, but it's a system because the people in power act according to the design. And if you're a prosecutor, your job is to charge people with crimes. End quote. That's it. That's it. That's fucking it. This whole article talks to you about the mothers, the families who have been ruined because of her locking people up behind truancy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure to link y'all to this article because it's, it's an important read and also the article from Left Voice. But in case of Chanel, y'all can check me on this, but I just wanted to throw this out. Yeah. This whole conversation kind of feels similar to me to the conversations around Bill Cosby and R. Kelly. Mm. And this is why I'm going to say this. Okay. Not because the crimes are the same or the things that, you know, Harris has done is similar to them. Not at all. But you see all the support from Black women, from Black people for having a Black person in the highest office of the land. You know what I mean? Harris. Mm -hmm. You see that same thing, that same sort of defense 
of mm. powerful black people when it came to R. Kelly and Bill Cosby. You know, people not believing the victims, people making excuses for why it's okay for them to do what they did. You know what I'm saying to people? It feels the same because people are making excuses for Kamala Harris's prosecutorial record, saying that, oh, this is what she was a prosecutor. That's her job. That's what she had to do. This is shit that, that, that people are saying to defend her record when Black people bring up what she's done to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. to me, it just shows how insidious white supremacy is on Black yes. people's lives because we're so used to feeling bad all the fucking time mm-hmm. that when a Black person gets into a position of power or influence mm. and it makes us feel good, yeah, we're willing to justify the fucked up shit that they may have done as a person. Yes, it's like yeah. oh, we got one in. <laughs> so it's just emotional pandering. Yeah. Emotional pandering yeah. because what you know happens is we focus on that emotional data, and we don't mm-hmm. bring back into the forefront all the other pieces. You know, things that really need right. to be considered that are very important. Right. I think I think yeah. we spoke about this on the last one, but yeah, it brings the question up again of. What's better than one black billionaire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jay-Z. Jay-Z, yeah. Like, what is yeah. that? What's a black billionaire doing for me? Uh, I'm, I'm so hungry, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and it just feels the same because, yeah. like, black people, we're so used to feeling bad because of oppression, yeah. because of all this shit that has happened to us. That when you, especially if it's black entertainers, because they make us feel good, you know, they make us laugh, they make us happy. You know, Bill Cosby, quote unquote, every, you know, black person's father or whatever. I mean, I ain't grew up with that shit, so I don't know what the fuck they was talking about with that. I don't know what the fuck that is. Right. That shit is weird. That's some weirdo shit. I grew up on fucking Adult Swim. That shit was, I'm on some different. Oh, not Adult Swim. I always hate it. I'm sorry. Like I, I never liked. It. I never liked the polish look. Like it, it just, it never. It showed no aspect of my life. And when it showed an aspect yeah. of my life, it was that person was always real bad. It was like ah, don't don't hang with that person. You know, well, it's, black, it's black bourgeois <laughs> shit. Like I was listening to yes. Minion Death Call and the dude on there, Tony Boswell. He's he's black and he was talking about like he made a good observation. If you look at black TV shows, black mm-hmm. TV shows back in the day were primarily about black, poor, working-class people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Sanford and Sons, niggas yeah. was in a junkyard and shit, poor as fuck. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and right. fucking, even the, even the Jeffersons, like, they had to move on up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know? But then over time, it's black bourgeois shit. It's, right. It was the Cosby show, then it went to Fresh Prince, which to me is the most egregious one. Fresh Prince is egregious, mm. even blackish. Thought he's like yeah, hella light, yeah, bro. Now, now mix, mix ish. <laughs> oh, they got rid of dark skin. Aunt yeah, think about how they got rid of his his wife. He had a dark skin wife. His Aunt <laughs> yes. That shit is weird, baby. And Bill, Woo. she wanted to get paid what she was due. She wanted the her dark skin work. was yeah. the best yeah. one, man. They would have got rid of Tatiana Ali too if she couldn't see. <laughs> Yeah, age to the man. Mm. Oh my god, bro! Yo. So it's weird, dude. You can even see the classism it's in that it. prosperity. Yeah. Oh, you can see man. the classism in it. So it's just like it's just the whole shit. Yeah, man. I just don't. I don't know. To me, it just feels the same. That emotional pandering, like you said, Chanel. It feels yeah the same. It's like it's it's just oh, we have to defend these people 
It's like, no, man, these people have hurt us. Yeah. I know yeah. they've made us feel good in the past. Or they can't make us feel good, but they hurt us. I know y'all heard the saying. Like, it was like, oh, they're they, they trying to get Bill because he's trying to buy CBS. Like, yep. it's always something yep. like oh, that. Oh, God. Yeah. He was going to buy the moon. He was going to move us to the moon, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. That's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say, I, I think the litmus test for Kamala is definitely going to be, well, will there be a whole Dave Chappelle Netflix special around her? <laughs> oh, my God. Make <laughs> it stop. <laughs> Jesus. I don't want to talk about Dave. Dave broke my heart with that shit he been doing <clears throat> recently, man. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what the fuck. Hey, man, Dave was trying to get us $1,200 a month. Don't knock that, man. He was trying to get us that UBS. Niggas supported Andrew Yang. So did Childish Gambino, bro. I wanted yeah, to did. punch my phone reading this. Shit. I damn near <laughs> threw my phone on the ground. I'm like, these Gosh. niggas are stupid. Why? Does being does being rich just make you dumb? Like, I like, do you lose IQ points when you get millions? Like, you're in a bubble for sure. You gotta be. It's unfucking believable, man. But yeah, it, it just it just. Like, I agree with the case. The bubble got to affect them. Because when they so high up, they don't remember what it's like to not have to pay for rent. You know? Yes. And so they yeah. don't factor that into the 1200 For us, we're like, oh, my landlord just going to kick my shit up $1,200. Like, <laughs> that ain't gonna yeah. be, we, we, can, we can see that. But they like, oh, we, you know, that's going to help them. The poor is going to love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we have to budget for groceries. And I'll never forget a professor of mine was like, if y'all think about, he was talking about Trump. But I think this applies to all rich people. How could you ever expect for these people to have your interests and understand your interests and where you're coming from when they haven't had to budget for groceries in years? <laughs> and that should be like a ton of bricks. They don't, they don't remember how much normal things cost, I, I'm not from my understanding. Like, a lot no. of times, their perception of, like, oh, you ask the person, like, how much is a loaf of bread now? They'd be like, shit, I don't know, like five or six bucks. <laughs> you know, because it's just like to them, yeah. it don't matter. It's like whatever it costs, we go pay it. It was like right. when Hillary walked into that apartment, she looked shocked. She's like, "What the fuck? Get me the fuck out of here!" <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this was a great conversation. Maybe we can go ahead and shift this over to Doctor Chanel segment. And Doctor, you, <laughs> you know, unoppress us, unoppress us. How can we kill me, Doctor Chanel? Kill me. <laughs> Lord of mercy. <laughs> it's just a lie, dog. What can we do? Ooh. Oh, good. Oh, good. It's it's so much. We gotta we gotta be able to disentangle from it, right? So we've been mm. talking about in the unoppressed yourself segment, mindfulness. You know, I just want to like continue there. Last time we talked about kind of what mindfulness is, what it entails, what types of skills it entails. And that's being able to observe your internal experience, describe it, and participate fully in the present moment. So sometimes we think, you know, mindfulness is about elimination, getting rid of thoughts and experiences. But it's really not because to get rid of those things is to be inhuman. Or, uh, unless you know something, I don't know. You're going to be dealing with them thoughts and feelings and sensations. <laughs> so we we had better, you know, figure out more effective ways to engage with ourselves, right? So that's the aim with this sec- and today's conversation about mindfulness. So mindfulness is about not taking words too seriously. 
right? Mm. As soon as something pops into our heads, we buy into it. We latch onto it. It's, there's no sometimes any space to consider that that thought is not actually, you know, reality or that it should be, you know, held a certain way and maybe, you know, questioned. We just, we, you know, some things come up and we go with it right away. So it's important that we're able to create wiggle room and space so we can move and have the freedom to move in the directions that are important to us. And we can do that by using something called cognitive diffusion. And cognitive diffusion is the counter to cognitive fusion. And that's when, you know, the thing pops up and we're immediately tied to it, that immediate buy-in to a thought. There's no there are no degrees of separation. The diffusion process is where we can engage to change the relationship we have with our thoughts so that we can mm-hmm. step back from them and observe the content of our thoughts and, and witness them and their presence. When we diffuse, we disentangle our self-talk and we observe thoughts as entities that are separate from us. It's just words. Right. Like this allows us to look at our thoughts versus looking from our thoughts. I'm going to say that again. This helps us to look at our thoughts rather than just from our thoughts. I like to say like we get to be the observer of our thoughts and not just the experiencer. You know, it's, it's a different space, different positioning. So there's some ways that we can do that. The stepping back part. And then um, another way to look at it is. We're trying to decrease how literal we engage with language. So we want to deliterize it so that we can see it for just what it is, the verbal production of sounds and syllables, right? So when we can actually practice hearing our thoughts as, you know, noise, just like we hear other noises, or observing ourselves, our thoughts dispassionately, right, without that immediate jumping into them. We can then base our choices to take action on whether or not something's going to work well versus whether versus how much we believe it. So it's really about effectiveness, engaging effectively with our thoughts. So they don't disappear. Right. It's just we use strategy. We can use strategies so that we have the space to make a choice not to be driven by them not to be driven by the content of our thoughts. We want to be able to look for in my book, thoughts and feelings are Siamese twins. They come together. So <laughs> when we have uh, thoughts that don't feel good, you know, we, we need to be able to wiggle a little bit and then, you know, change the script. So I'm going to go through some exercises today to flesh this out. Cause I feel like I'm not very clear even right now. <laughs> so here it goes. All right. So the first one I want to do is called the master storyteller, right? So essentially it's, it's being mindful that the human mind is, is the world's greatest storyteller and it never shuts up. It's always got a story to tell and more than anything else, it just wants us to listen. It wants our full attention and it will say anything to get our attention, even if it's painful or nasty or scary. And some of the stories it tells us are true. We call those facts. But most of the stories it tells us can't really be called facts. They're more like opinions, beliefs, ideas, attitudes, assumptions, judgments, predictions, and so forth. They're stories about 
how we see the world, what we want to do, what we think is right or wrong or fair or unfair and so on. So we want to learn how to recognize when a story is helpful or when it and when it isn't. And when we're you know, able to do that, again, we can create that wiggle room for ourselves. The next piece is called Hands as Thoughts. Imagine for a moment that your hands are your thoughts. Hold your hands together, palms open as if they're the pages of an open book. Then slowly and steadily raise your hands up toward your face. Keep going until they're covering your eyes. Now take a few seconds and look at the world around you through the gaps between your fingers. Notice how this affects your view of the world. It's not the same. What would it be like to go around all day with your hands covering your eyes in this manner? How would it limit you? How much would you miss out on? How would it reduce your ability to respond to the world around you? And this is like fusion. We become so caught up in our thoughts that we lose contact with the many aspects of our here and now experience. And our thoughts have such huge influence over what we do that our ability to act effectively is significantly reduced. So now once again, cover your eyes with your hands. But this time, lower them from your face very, very slowly. And as your hands slowly descend beneath your eyes, notice how much easier it is to connect with the world around you. This is like diffusion. As you lower your hands, your thoughts don't disappear, but getting some separation allows you to engage more fully, flexibly, and you can freely choose how to act in the ways that are important to you. Because at the end of all this, you guys, what matters as we're talking about is the action. Right. Like we get a lot of words about Kamala and this and that and Joe, and you know, but what matters is the actions. <laughs> so we want to be able to choose actions and engage in the world in the ways that are important to us. Mm-hmm. Fly fishing. Have you ever heard of fly fishing? I don't heard of it and seen it on TV. Right. But I've not participated in it. But this is a, a metaphor for it. So walk with. A good fly fisher knows exactly what the trout are feeding on and ties up the flies that imitate those insects. They're so good at it that the trout can't tell the difference. So they cast the fly into the stream right in front of the trout. The trout sees it flying by, buys that the fly is real, bites it, and gets hooked. Our minds can be like really skilled fly fishers. Our thoughts and feelings are like highly specific flies that the mind designs, right? The ones that just the ones we'll bite on. So the mind casts them out on the stream in front of us and they seem so real that we buy them, bite them and we get hooked. Now, once we're hooked, the more we struggle, the more we behave in the ways that drive the hook in deeper and keep us on the line. As we swim in the stream of life, there are flies floating by on the surface all the time. As we get better at spotting flies and recognizing that we don't have to bite them, we get hooked less often, have more flexibility to swim in the direction of our values. Does this stuff make sense to (laughs) y'all? Y'all was great. (laughs) That was great. Yeah, absolutely. 
I did the hand exercise with you. It was perfect. Nice, nice. Chanel, where can I enter in my card information? That was so good. I got one more before we go. Oh, good, okay. I got one more. And this one is the leaves on the stream, as they call it. So you can follow along with it. But I just want to check in to make sure I'm not, you know, losing anybody. No, no, no we're, we're here. doing the exercise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So the next one and last one is to close your eyes and imagine a beautiful, slow moving stream. The water flows over the rocks and around the trees and Sends down hill and travels through a valley. Once in a while, a big leaf drops into the water and floats downstream. Imagine you're sitting beside the stream on a warm, sunny day watching the leaves float. It's got to be nice, nice and cozy, enjoyable. Think of the sounds and things that you hear. Now become conscious of your thoughts right now. And each time a thought pops into your head, imagine that it's written on one of those leaves. Could be what's for dinner. If you think in words, put them on the leaf as words. If you think in images, put the images on the leaf. The goal is to stay beside the stream and allow the leaves to keep floating by. Don't try to make the stream go faster or slower. Don't try to change what shows up on the leaves in any way. If the leaves disappear, if you mentally go somewhere else, or if you find that you're in the stream or on a leaf, just stop and notice that this is happening. File that knowledge away and then once again return to the stream. Watch a thought that comes into your mind, place it on a leaf and let that leaf float downstream. And you can just keep doing that with your thoughts for a few moments, a few minutes, and just watch them float by. Why do we want to do these things? These are some strategies we can use to handle our thoughts differently. Instead of grabbing them and trying to squeeze the life out of them or stuff them away somewhere, sweep them under rugs. We can choose to engage with them differently. We can practice engaging with them differently. And that's what these types of strategies enable us to do. And that helps us in tough moments be able to find some space so that we can healthily detach from things that are upsetting. And choose how we want to engage versus being driven by the emotion of that moment. So play this back, these strategies, and uh, give yourself a few minutes a day just to practice them. It doesn't take much time. We have plenty of time. We're sitting there doing nothing. Then you can think about your thoughts as leaves on the stream and visualize that. Mm. And it's these types of strategies that I think that we as Black people have to master to help us be more resilient. Which is my focus. <laughs> Man. Oh, that was wonderful. You should do ASMR, Dr. Chanel. That was so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I, I like laid down. 
man. I had to lay I down. So much better, dog. I feel so much fabulous. better. If I can give my perspective on it, just real quick, man. Yeah. You know, dealing with mental health issues, depression and anxiety, irrational yeah. thoughts yeah. or something that I deal with frequently. And, you know, I've been trying to, you know, struggle with it for years by myself. You know, I, I struggle with the thought, uh, you know, wrestle with it, trying to throw it away. And, you know, just having those techniques are going to be a godsend. Yeah. Like, <laughs> throwing the, the thought on the leaf and letting it fly on the stream. It, it, like, instantly I was able to do it with multiple thoughts. Mm. So, even while you were talking, you know, I'm listening. And nice. Letting it flow, you know? <laughs> so nice. it, it, it's, a, it's a benefit. You know, you asked earlier, uh, are we getting it or are we getting benefit? I, I'm definitely getting in if i'm getting it, i know there's, there's other people out there way smarter than me who are also getting a benefit for sure excellent excellent absolutely yeah yeah i'm the same way i have my own issues with like anxiety disorders and stuff like that and so yeah you know the thoughts can just come in whenever and so like once i started practicing mindfulness way more like oh man it is a fucking godsend like it is great and i think part of what you were trying to do chanel is to get us to look at our thoughts like non-judgmental mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep yeah. Cause not only do yeah. they pop up and we buy into them, but then we judge the fuck out of ourselves for having them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my I don't God. know if y'all are familiar with uh Altered Carbon, but uh, I would say that uh Dr. Yes. Chanel is about to be the Glow Chris Falconer of our Okay, okay. Let's shift over to Black Joy real quick. And let's talk about, yo, Alter Carbon. If y'all have not watched this show, you know, please go and watch this show. It's a good one. It's it's phenomenal. And that character is particularly like a badass Black woman. Like, she's the shit. I don't have to check it out. But Dr. Chanel, thank you so much. I feel like your segments be like, it's like the podcast is like, Apocalypse now, you know what I'm saying? And then, like, Chanel comes in, like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't have to be this way. The world isn't all bad. But thank you. It's how you approach it. It's all yeah. about how you center your thoughts. And yeah, if we can focus on that. We could probably shift. We could change things a lot faster. A lot of folks are yes. twisted up yeah. inside and out. Because a lot of the left is so nihilistic, dog. I mean, I know right. me, you, me and you, Glenn, were talking about a lot yeah. of the left is very despairing. We're black, not black pills. Yeah, we're black, not black pills. Yeah. And it's just like a lot of the left is like hella nihilistic and like yeah. full of despair and. It's like, bro, we haven't even tried everything. <laughs> right. We haven't, like, why, what, it, I don't understand. Like, we haven't even tried it. We try, I'm I'm not saying that time isn't of the essence. It is, but it's just like, mm-hmm. like, fam, like, no, it's not hopeless. There are things that we can do. <laughs> like, so, yes, thank you so much, Doc. So we're going to yeah. shift over to the Black Joy segment and y'all just talk about, you know, whatever's been filling y'all up, man. Whatever's been making y'all feel good recently. These guys are st- Going so, real quick, my son had a request. He's wanted to say hi to everybody, and that's my hi. black boy. <laughs> what's up, what's up, what's right on time. <laughs> hey. That was the yes. best sound. Yes. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, and to touch on Ultra Carbon, also, there's an animated movie after, and that it's also oh man, so good, so so. <gasps> oh yeah, I haven't watched that yet. And it's really good politically, too, in a way, because it touches on, like, just the fluidity of, like, race and gender and stuff like that. Oh, hold, on, hold on a second, because the, the creator is actually a transphobe. 
Oh, the creator, creator won't the creator oh, dang it. Uh, yeah, the creator of the books, mind. but the, the series was created, I think, without much of his input. Oh, man. So, but yeah, it, it's wild. Like, how, can you, how, can you make a, how can you make a series about jumping from, you know, body to body without right. there being any inhibition to it and then be a transphobe? It's like, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Just, wow. But yeah, Black Joy, I think, who, I guess I'll start since I'm, I'm being loud right now. Um, for Black Joy, for me, this episode, I recently got the second volume of X-Mag in the mail, and I'm looking forward to ripping through that. X-Mag, um, I kickstarted that a few months ago, and they issued out one of them. It's like, almost like a Shonen Jump type deal, right? Like, you get, uh, like an anthology of a bunch of different artists. The first one was more like a cyberpunk um, deal, and then this one is dealing with, like, I think, like, romance. I'm not 100%, but... It's some really good artwork, really dynamic uh, storytelling, a bunch of different shorts, a bunch of different artists. And yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to right now. That's what's giving me some joy. Dope. Nice. I'll jump in. So I'm excited because I, I think I figured out a couple instruments I want to try. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. That's dope. So, that's dope. you know, I'm trying to follow my own medicine in the sense that I'm letting my clients know, like, look, this good COVID winter is coming, so prepare. Yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking that I want to try to, like, really make the harmonica or um, a drum. Okay. Nice. nice. I don't know which one okay. yet, but... <laughs> I have a good friend who took up the harmonica. Mm. It's like so classic now. Like, who does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't see very many women do it either. I think that's mm. awesome. We'll start a, we should start a band. Nice. Lizzo played a flute. Lizzo played a flute. There you People go. forget. Yep. Right. Lizzo played a flute. Yep. You do anything. I will go. I this might be lame, but I had a birthday, and I feel like these times it's important. Oh yeah, happy birthday, okay? Thank you. Thank right? you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm another year older. Yes, thank you. Well, I feel like it's so important. Yes, the black version is the only version that matters in this house. And we have the same cake every year. It's a yellow cake with chocolate frosting. I've been having it since I was okay. a baby. But I feel like it's so important to celebrate another year survival life surviving you know the pandemic i don't know that's kind of dark but you know what i mean i i just i love birthdays I, I love the idea of getting older not many people get to do it so that's making me feel pretty good i got a lot of love for my family it's, it's been a good weekend Dope. excellent Dope. nice i like that reframe yeah. you know about getting older not a lot of people get to do it yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's helped me a lot thinking mm-hmm. of it in those terms like not many people have that privilege, so I'm trying yeah, to I've, lean into it. <laughs> I've had thoughts about, damn, will I make it a 30? You know, it, I think it's kind of common for us, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, Black Joy for me, man. I'm excited. One of my favorite bands, The Devil Wears Prada, they're like a metal band from back in the day. They've been around for about like a decade. They're doing a live stream. Ooh. Missed the first one, but, uh, you know, they're live streaming like two of their best albums from front to back. That's dope as hell. Another band that's recently come back is System of a Fucking Down. What? <laughs> Thanks for the news we covered. They're back. Now, under unfortunate circumstances, because as people know, System of Down, they are Armenian. And so their two most recent songs oh. that they released are about what's going on in Armenia. So it's, it's bittersweet, but it's fucking rad that they are back. 
so that's yeah that's dope other than that i mean i'm just staying on twitch watching people on twitch that's really about it for me it's mostly been like music stuff and chanel inspired me i need to pick back up my guitar i need to need to start by playing guitar man but yeah, that's it for me, man. This has been this has been a strong episode. I knew this was gonna be a good episode. Packed house. Well, hold on, we, we didn't get Tony's black joy. Oh, we. He I said his son. Yeah, I didn't know it was the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got a lot of joy, man. Nah, this is a great episode, man. I always love chatting with y'all. Yeah, thanks, y'all. I always appreciate being out with y'all. This is great, yeah, man. Great. This is a strong episode, a powerhouse episode. You know what I'm saying? We jumped from, you know, crazy ass protests to Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You know what I'm saying? Keep <laughs> <laughs> on a thousand cuts. If y'all not following, y'all fucking up, man. Y'all fucking up. So, y'all listeners, thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for the love. Thank you for joining us this episode. Y'all can follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, and on Spotify. We're still waiting with the, with the Google Play thing. I don't know what's going on with that. I haven't gotten updates on that yet, but that's where you can find us. We will be setting up a Patreon soon where you guys will be able to get more, you know, different types of content, diverse content that we're working on. So please grace and patience with that for us. Thank you again. This has been another episode of A Thousand Cuts. I am your host, Demetrius. Here with my comrades, LaCase, Tony, Glenn, and Chanel. Y'all take care. Solidarity. Peace. Peace.